right, pals, welcome to Team Up Moves. I'm Fiona. I'm Stephanie. And this is the podcast where we play superhero role-playing games and then talk about them. And we played a superhero role-playing game. We're now going to dive into the back matter of champions. I can't wait to talk about this, Steph. It's a good thing we don't have to wait. Should we introduce our third player? Yeah, absolutely. So you may remember them as Derek the Human Slingshot Robol. Please welcome back Ian Gregory. Ian, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. Well, it's 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 absolutely our pleasure. We start all of these Back Matter episodes by diving into the origin story. Origin story is where we look at what prep was involved, how character creation went. And I think that if anyone has heard anything about Champions, it's that it's got character creation. Yes. Ian, let's, let's just maybe let, if you could just walk through, what did you do? To build the human slingshot, what is the process that Champions has you do? So I started conceptually with knowing I wanted to play around with size changing powers. I think they're really neat, but in practice, you sort of grow big and you punch someone and then you grow small and you also punch someone. And there's not really a lot of variation. There's a reason that Ant-Man can also talk to ants, (laughs) completely unrelated to size changing. So I started with that idea of thinking, like, how can I make this sort of fun to play? And then I uh, read the entire rulebook. Yeah. Because it had been a long time since I played and I would played fifth edition, not sixth edition. The good thing is that in the process of reading through the... So there, are, I was using the hero system rulebooks, which is sort of the parent system to champions that can be adapted for any system, any setting. There's two volumes of that. And the first volume is all character creation, like 400 pages of character creation. Oh my goodness. It's got extended rules, not in the champions thing. And so I was sort of reading through how the characteristics work, the list of powers, all the modifiers and disadvantages and limitations you can put on powers. And that's sort of when I got sort of got stuck on this idea of linked powers, which are when you activate one power, you either can or must activate a second power. And champions is flexible enough, you can link your powers basically indefinitely. So you can link two powers and then a third power to that that second power, and then maybe branch your links so that when you activate one power, you can choose one of two other ones to go on. I sort of thought this was a really interesting scheme that you could like pyramid scheme your, you could pyramid scheme your powers. And so I thought, oh, what happens when you grow big? What happens when you grow small? And so I try to think of sort of a fun way to play and link these powers. Then you go back to the start and you do your characteristics of which there are like 17. There are 17 separate. So many. Independent characteristics. So many. It'd be like in Dungeons and Dragons if you can point by your strength dex con and then also point by hit points in armor class. It's a choice. It gives the system a lot of flexibility. But then once you work through that, then you've got to go your skills. Then you have perks, which are like feats, I suppose. And then your powers and then your complications. Uh, you, I believe, forgot talents. Oh, yeah. are Is talents and perks yeah. different? Talents and perks are different. Yeah. Talents are like innate things. The human slingshot didn't come up and play, but he was double jointed for a whole three points. It's a, it's a lot to work through. Yeah, you have to buy things like being double jointed. Yes, that is not a role playing factor. It's a it's a mechanical rule. <laughs> Let, let's talk about that buying stuff. How how did how did you do the buying for anemone? Honestly, in retrospect, the answer is badly, uh, and without a fair sense of the relative value of the things I was buying. Although I did get some really wonderful bargains. So I had an entire couple of paragraphs about who she was and I had even drawn a picture before I started to try to buy what she could do and 
I tried to buy the things that someone narratively with her origin and her powers could do. So I wanted to buy stretchy limbs, extra limbs, regenerating limbs, powerful neurotoxin, weaker electrical attack, and then the ability to breathe underwater indefinitely and just generally be underwater, which in the hero system is more complicated than you think because you have to buy not only expanded breathing, but expanded breathing so that it takes no endurance and immunity to high pressure. Otherwise, you would get squashed if you tried to go down in the ocean the way that, you know, frankly, real human beings do. Now, when we're, we're, when we're talking about, about buying here. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, you start out with, with 400 character points. You have 400 bucks. Well, that's, that's only if you are playing a conventionally heroic hero, depending on what kind of game you're in, you can start out with 200 or 400 or 800. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Exactly. And we, we tried 400. It, it seemed like a safe default, but that's a lot and a lot of choices. And so you are spending them three at a time, 10 at a time on just a bunch of different things to make your character. Yeah. And for non-combat powers in particular, it gets very fiddly. A lot of these non-combat powers are relatively cheap, but you have to pay two points for this and three points for that. And the best five hero system points that I ever spent are the ones that got me extra limbs. <laughs> and the second best, uh, this was only five points, were stretching. I could reach out and grab someone from five meters away. But once you get to powers that can do damage... You are buying not only the power, but how much damage it could do. And I think at least for a conventional campaign that's got lots of combat, that is where the hero system tacitly expects you to put a lot of your points. And if you're not used to that, you don't realize quite how many D6 of damage you need to take out a medium strength bad guy or two. Yeah. And so Anemone ended up extremely versatile, but with powers that allowed her to hit a medium powered opponent again and again and again and do no damage. So another thing about the buying is you do buy these powers. And part of the promise of champions is you can make any hero you can imagine. The way that that comes across mechanically is that the book has. I know two, three dozen different powers that you can get and you can flavor them however you want. There's blast and that can be an eye beam. That can be an area of effect. That can be any sort of numbers of ways of dealing damage. And then you start modifying them. Ian, what were some of the modifiers that you used for human slingshot and, and how does that work mathematically? Sure. Not in detail because let's be honest, folks. We all use the Java app to build these characters, and honestly, you'd be foolish not to, because there is a lot of fiddly fraction stuff and implying them in the right order. But anyway, from a higher level than that, Ian, what's the modifier stuff all about? Yeah, absolutely. The The app is, is I think, required for creating characters, especially if you're creating characters that do more than the basic um, shoot one laser beam and punch pretty good. So yeah, I, I made my gigantification power, for instance. And when you create a power, it's worth a base number of points, maybe 80. And then I, you start putting modifiers on it. So 
I gave it a side effect that whenever it's used, I have to do this other power. That's worth negative points because it's a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. And then with other powers, maybe I like my hand when I'm in giant mode, I gave myself an attack that has an area of effect because my fist is is large. And so that's bonus points. And then you can choose what kind of area of effect it is. Is it a line? Is it a cone? Is it any combination of two two meter areas? That's all worth different modifiers where it's worth plus one quarter the number of points. And in the end, when you when you get to the end, that starting 80 points is somehow reduced to 60 or it's somehow increased to 100. So you will often sit down to make a power sort of knowing flavorfully in your head what it will look like on the page when it happens and then get to the end and say, oh, that cost much less than I expected or, oh, that cost way more than I expected. And this honestly can be pretty satisfying. I mentioned when we were playing, when I was putting Lyre together and trying to piece together how I would represent her being able to shut off powers, because I wanted to demonstrate that aspect of the hero system, that there's this this way of affecting other characters. And the base power I use is called Drain, which is a very like rogue kind of power. You have to grab someone and it's it's a physical contact and a physical attack and you can drain their powers. And so I took drain and then I switched it from being a physical to a mental. And that made it cost more because characters tend to have less mental damage. But then I kind of offset that by saying like, well, Liar has to keep her concentration and keep paying endurance to sort of maintain the lie that you don't know how to use your powers. And so that was a disadvantage because it was going to be more expensive. And when I got done... I had this fairly accurate mechanical representation of telepathically telling someone that they didn't know how to use their powers. And it was actually super satisfying. And part of it is that when you're sitting down to make a character with 400 points, maybe you get there and you've got that pool of 30 or 40 points at the end. You don't really know what to do with that. That was sort of where I ended up. And I thought, well, maybe I can give myself a few more options here. And you start looking at the powers list and thinking about alternate expressions. And I, I had a change environment power attached to my gigantification, sort of saying, when, oh, when I grow big and shoot really far, I can smash the ground and make it so that people have to make a dex throw to pass through this area. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hero system is really good at rewarding you for taking your time with your points and thinking about different ways you can use your power. And it's also much more satisfying in play to have a lot of options rather than, you know, one good move you do over and over again. That is, I mean, on on the one hand, yes, it really encourages you to make your hero versatile, either to make your hero directly versatile by saying you've got this power and this power and this power and you've got electrical powers and you've you've got dematerialization powers and so on, or to think about all the things that your hero can do with their one basic power. If you were going to try to make, for example, Magma from the New Mutants, Samara Aquila, she's really only got one power, which is that she controls lava and magma. But if you were going to try to make magma in the hero system you would want to account for all of the many things that her lava could do mechanically and i'm not even sure you could do it in 400 points you probably could so that's that's really neat the other thing that i found myself thinking about as we saw these point build system characters in practice is the social construction of everything because the ability to breathe in the vacuum of space 
which you might have spent 10 or 20 points on, is worth nothing if you never go to space, right? Uh, mind control abilities are worth nothing if you're mostly fighting robots. This is a system that illustrates, because you've used up points to do it, how many abilities in superhero stories and in real life depend entirely on your social and physical context to see what they can do. And therefore, in a system like this, if you build a specialized power, you are gambling or relying on a GM to make that power useful. I think that's definitely true. And I think one piece of GM advice that I try to remember is your players' character sheets are in many ways a wish list for the game. This comes up in PBTA games when it's what moves have people taken in this? What powers do they have? That's the player saying, I want to do these things. And so hopefully the GM is then going to to take that and apply that in in their campaign and sort of give opportunities for that to shine. The other way this actually comes up is that a lot of some of those limitations, the value of the limitation is subjective based on how often it's going to come up. That you can have, you can say, oh, I'm immune to this type of damage, or I have a real strong resistance to fire or something like that. And when you're calculating that, the amount that that costs is, is this going to, is there going to be a lot of fire in this campaign? Is there going to be a medium amount of fire in this campaign or a little amount of fire in this campaign? And that affects how much that power is worth and how much you're supposed to be paying for it. And well, something, something the rulebook says repeatedly is that, you know, a limitation isn't a limitation unless it actually limits you. So while the rulebook may say, oh, if you take linked, it'll be worth one quarter less points. That's not true if the link linked powers are only to your advantage and they only ever help you. In that case, even though the rules are saying, oh, it's worth less points, the GM has to step in and say, no, that's not how that works. That's true, too, of um, complications. You take a certain number of complications, which are interesting and I want to talk about in a second, but they say like your your complication can't help you. You can't, for example, take a perk, which gives you a valuable contact, someone who can help you out, um, a, like a relationship to your advantage, and then also take that contact as a complication. Wait, does it say that your perk can't be a complication? Yes. Explicitly? So that's bad. Well, no, I, I specifically for contacts. This is not okay. always the case for maybe, maybe, you know, your powers can be a disadvantage, can be a complication. But if you are taking points to buy someone as a contact to help you, you can't then turn around and get points back for saying that they're a complication. Because uh, that sort of lets you have, lets the player have it both ways at character creation. I mean, no, it doesn't because the complication is worth more than you, you end up paying a net cost because this person has to be rescued all the time, but they still know about airplanes. Anyway, I'm, I'm quibbling. Uh, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up complications, Ian. Can mm -hmm. you describe a little bit more uh, how they how they work as part of character creation? Sure. So when you're creating a character, you set a certain number or the GM rather sets a certain number of complication points, just like hero points. You have a list of things that range from sort of personal to super heroic. So maybe you've got a vulnerability to a type of damage. Or you've got a susceptibility to something like fire or water. You may have an accidental change, which means your powers go off without your without your control. That's a very Hulk situation. And then you have more social ones. You can have social complications that reflect secret identities or, you know, your status of income. 
You can have dependent NPCs. This is your Aunt May. And dependent NPCs are worth points based on how helpless are they and how often they get into trouble. Aunt May would be worth a lot of points because she's helpless, she's constantly sick, and she's trying to marry Dr. Octopus, right? (laughs) Uh, She's getting involved in all sorts of wacky Spider-Man adventures, which means Spider-Man has to go run off and sort of protect her. And then you have the, I think the sort of, these are a little interesting, maybe um, problematic at times, psychological complications, which can range from anything to low self-esteem to more serious mental illnesses. I liked the near requirement that you give your character complications, and it felt like a service to GMs, since every complication is a potential adventure hook, and a service to... A service to players who might need reminding or might want help learning that when you are building a superhero, you are building, or I'm going to get prescriptive about this, kind of should be building someone you can play as a person who has interesting feelings. I think that, you know, Hero System gets a reputation for being very wargamey, which I think is fair. Yeah. But I think in trying to wargame role-playing, I think it actually works out really well for the players and the GM, like you say. I know that a lot of times players are, especially new players, are reluctant to sit down and think about what their character is as a person or flaws they might have or backgrounds, especially in a game like Dungeons and Dragons where sort of your 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 PCs are sort of spat out into the world fully formed with no relationships to anyone. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have a house and they wander around the world with no fears about their family or how they're <laughs> making money or whatever. Hero System makes players sit down and figure out how they're going to role play. And it does that too when you buy points, when you buy contacts, when you buy perks. Like I looked at my character and I said, well, you know, it's only like three points. I guess I speak Polish. Like, and then you've got a, you've got a character background, a detail you can work into your story. Yeah. I I think that I'm glad you brought that up because I think we do need to sidebar. (laughs) Um, Hero System is billed as a universal RPG and it is a universal RPG in the sense of let's make game mechanic rules for everything in the world. And this is different from the way that like fate is a universal RPG, which is let's distill everything down. And then champions is a, is a setting for the hero system in the champions complete book, which is the bits you need to know of hero system plus the bits you need to know from champions. There is an entire three quarters of a page that is dedicated to the similarities of modern languages. Yep. So that the game can represent, if you know French, it's easier for you to know Spanish or Italian because they're romance languages. And it's a quite a flowchart and it covers a, a good number of, of languages. And I just, when I got to that page, that, that was, I was not expecting that. I would say that it was not, I was not prepared for this chart in my superhero RPG book. So on the one hand, I like the way that champions and the hero system treats things that only happen in non-realist stories and things that are part of our world in the same way. I have been flipping through the champion's handbook in front of me looking for the language table. I found it. It's on page 31. It is bonkers. Uh, I also cannot attest to its accuracy. I'm not a linguist, so I don't know. I don't know, Steph, if you have any sense. I I actually do. It is not wrong. Okay. (laughs) Um, And 
it's yeah it, it, from from what i can see it is it is not wrong and i will say uh to its credit that whoever put this together remembered that belarusian russian and ukrainian are three separate languages which before the current war for a north american product points for that but there's a similar table about how you buy and what you get out of movement in between dimensions and a third table for faster than light travel in case you're playing in a game where not only is there a space opera element, but someone has decided to map the distances, the relative distances among more than two of your made up star systems. This is a game that, that system that not only promises that you can do everything, but promises that you can have a game mechanic for everything. And in Honestly, you can't. The <laughs> idea that you can game mechanic everything seems to me to be taken literally a false promise. And we saw some of that just as we played this game, because there were rules for all kinds of grabbing, which Anemone would rather grab than do really almost anything else except be a marine biologist. And yet we had to story tell about how a lot of the grabbing worked. On the other hand, and Ian, you've been saying some of this earlier, the false promise of being able to have a game mechanic for everything is a spur to creativity and makes you think about things that you wouldn't otherwise think about, especially in character creation. So one thing that I, I want to bring up and, and when we're kind of thinking about this, this game is sort of what what era and what RPG tradition Champions is in. And the Hero System 6th edition and the Champions book that went with it came out in 2009, which is surprisingly long ago in RPG terms. Okay, this is like three to four years before 5th edition is announced. This is the year before Apocalypse World comes out. This is before Numenera and the Cypher system. I think maybe a Cortex game, but it might be a little bit ahead of even the first Cortex game. This is not only pre a lot of sort of the recent innovations in RPGs, it is also holding very true to its original roots from 1981. And I, I think to kind of get a little bit to your point, Steph, that around all of these rules, a, a bit that kind of hit home for me is at the beginning of the Champion's complete version of the rules. There's a thing about describing RPGs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a, a lot of books have this. It's a wonderful little essay about what RPGs are. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Yeah, and it's the, it's the sweet thing about how this is a game of pretend. We are playing pretend, which is the schoolyard game. It's the universal game. And everyone's played pretend, but then they stop. And why did they stop? They stopped mm -hmm. for two reasons. One is that the stories weren't complicated enough and didn't have enough other characters. And so the book says, well, in an RPG, you've got a GM who's responsible for all of that. So that's problem one solved. Mm -hmm. Problem two is that in pretend, it always devolves into kids saying, I punch you. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. And what the RPG does is it says, we've got these dice to resolve those disputes. And so from the very start, the sense of mechanics and dice in this game is about settling interplayer conflicts, which I think is actually fairly like, like maybe this is, a, you know, I'm putting kind of fine point on it, but considering sort of some of the later traditions of games where you think of dice as ways of injecting uncertainty into stories. This is like you're having an argument 
in the game about punching and we'll use dice and we'll use these game mechanics to solve those arguments. A friend of mine has been possessed by some sort of 1970s demon and he's decided we're going to play AD&D. So I've been reading the AD&D first edition player's handbook. Oh no. And I used to own that. I've got one. It's kind of a delight. It's a really fun, it's quick, but it's solving very different problems than your modern RPG is. Than when you sit down, I sat down and read like Blades in the Dark. They're just coming at two different issues with with AD&D, there's so many charts and tables like in Hero System that say this weapon has this much attack range and you need this much space to swing it and it affects AC in this way against certain types of armor. It's all of these nitty gritty details because the problems AD&D was solving was how do we play chainmail with one character apiece? Like, how do we explore the dungeon? Chainmail being an, uh, a war game mm-hmm. from the late 60s. Yes, that Gygax was a big fan of in Arneson. Yeah. And so they're trying to distill not a collaborative storytelling experience, but a, a combat one, a, a dungeon crawl with an adversarial dungeon master. The, so the problems they're solving are different, and their solutions are tables and explanations and lots of hard and fast rules. And the charts are things like your strength if you're trying to bend bars. There's no strength check. There's strength to do specific things. Bend bars, lift gates. Right. So I think Hero System inherits this sort of original issue issue which is like how do i how do you create a superhero game that feels true to superheroes that takes superheroes seriously as a a war game where instead of i'm gonna buy a heat wave power that lets me shoot a blast of fire from my hand when i create my character instead it's trying to open that up and say no let's let's take making superheroes seriously and the downside to that is that it is needlessly fiddly because it sort of sees its mission as a game is to be the fiddly game. Yeah, and 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 that is uh, actually a great segue. We should get into our next section. The last thing I do want to mention in the origin story is what I did as the GM. And what did you do? <laughs> I created four entire dang characters. There are no shortcuts around the NPCs. There is no, oh, it's just a thug, it's just a mook or whatever. Here's just a quick way of doing it. Everyone is statted up as if they were a full character. So I've got liar's sheet and I had to choose. So both of the henches? Yeah. Now they, they, I shared, I shared the sheet from the henches and, and actually I will say that the henches specifically I found pregens. There is a champions begins pack that if anyone is interested in trying champions, I would recommend it's a much nicer distillation of the rules. I think it's free on drive through. We'll, we'll put links in the show notes. Uh, so I got the hench from there, but I made liar. I made Johnny three guns. Professor Markov, the cloak who didn't come up because we were sort of out of time. And yeah, it's just like going through that process for all of them. And it was fun for a while. And then I just (laughs) had to keep doing it because I needed more NPCs. So So I I, I do have an important question before we move on. Yes. Did Johnny Three Guns in fact have a third gun? So no. And and (laughs) it was one of those things where I was leaving this open possibly narratively like sort of going into i'm like well if i was playing so if i was doing johnny three guns as a masks 
NPC. Mm-hmm. I would have a couple moves with mm-hmm. the lightning gun and the Gatling gun and, and that kind of thing. And leave myself open that if there was some situation where he could pull out like a third gun and like in the moment, if I found the perfect opportunity for a third gun, that I could do that. Now, you can do that in Champions. You just get some points and you set them aside in a, a multi-power or a variable power pool or that kind of thing. And you can build your powers at the table. You just have to ask everyone to wait a couple minutes <laughs> while you figure it out. Yeah. So, so no, in the end, I think, I think Winter's assertion that the third gun are the injuries you sustained along the way is, is probably the most accurate there. That's origin story. Let's get into the uh, even more bulk of this discussion with the letters page. And the thing we always want to open the letters page with is a question. I'm going to give this to you, Steph, to start off. What is this game trying to do? This game is trying to mechanically simulate as many parts of the of a, a mainstream Bronze Age that is 70s and 80s superhero comic in as much detail as possible. Both the fighty parts and the non-fighty parts with attention to the kind of things that happen in Bronze Age Marvel and DC superhero comics. So a lot of people get hit with a lot of different power beams, and a lot of people get hit with a lot of different wrestling moves, and pretty often they go into space. Sometimes they have to communicate in other languages or use people in the life of a city who have different kinds of expert knowledge. Sometimes they have to traverse distances. And every time there's something that's a recurring situation in superhero comics of that era, there is a mechanic for it. Now, there are lots of things that happen in modern superhero comics and in real life and in other kinds of stories that you could do in a Champions game, but that are not simulated in this game because they aren't frequent occurrences in these comics. And I would say in particular, there are things that don't happen a whole lot in late 70s Avengers comics. So that, for example, you can file a lawsuit or you can propose marriage to someone in a Champions game if you roleplay it. But I don't think that there is a game mechanic for doing either of those things. I mean, I suppose softly there is, you can have professional skills. And so we could have a contact. You could pay the points for a contact who has a professional skill in, you know, passing the bar or, or whatever. And, and You could also give yourself a law degree and you could build, I guess what I'm saying is you could absolutely build She-Hulk in this system with 400 points and you would give her various kinds of legal contacts and legal skills. But there's not a table of how to determine what happens when you file a motion in court. Although this is a a, a game that wants to simulate the world in so much numerical detail that I am a little surprised there is not a table for how the legal system works in New Arcadia. Maybe I missed it. Uh, Ian, you've got the complete hero system books there. Is there other more tables? Uh, (laughs) I I mean, is this accurate? Do you feel like this is a this is the right description of, of what, what Champions is going for? Um, I, I think 
I think I have uh, I think I have a slight addendum, which I don't think that it's trying to simulate the world in as much detail as much as it's trying to simulate characters. Yeah, you're right. And I think, like you said, where you're you're struggling to make all of these these characters, you need to sit down and stat out all these fully featured supervillains. I think the end dream of a champion's campaign is to in three years say, oh, I have these 10 people who play regularly with me. Four of them are coming over tonight to play this game. I know what four characters they have. I need some supervillains. And then you open your binder of characters you've created and you flip through and say, oh, Johnny Three Guns would be good for this one. (laughs) And you look at all these characters that have accumulated over years of playing. And much like a shared universe superhero writer, you say, I think I could do a good one where so-and-so teams up with so-and-so to do such and such to the president of America. I think the, the the ideal of Hero System is that you've created so many interesting and unique characters that you can create theoretically infinite stories by smashing them together in com- in whatever combination you want. I love that description. I think that's right. And that is that is a specific subcategory of Bronze Age comics. These are Avengers stories, and you're going to give us our DC analogy in a moment. But I, I, I that's really persuasive, Ian. Thank you. Given that, would you say that Champions is successful if you want to see if you want to play pretend with your friends and have those bronze age adventures is champions giving that to you ian yeah absolutely and i think what works well about champions is that it it set off for me making my one character a chain reaction of superhero ideas where i'm making the human slingshot and i'm like well this is kind of like an atom riff and then i'm thinking well i could do other justice society riffs like oh what if i made a mr terrific who literally forced people to play fair and i use power drain and what if i made a um a uh an hour man who has a variable power pool of different chemicals you can combine to create different drugs and like and and all of a sudden i'm sort of dreaming up an extended riff on the justice society and then maybe you just sit down and put those characters in your binder and whip them out on a rainy day i think it's great in that respect and i think it's really good at sparking player and gm creativity I do think that the actual play is really frustrating. The downside of simulating character creation so well is that then you actually have to play with those powers and they interact and you have to do all sorts of different kinds of role. It's not like Apocalypse World. It's not like Dungeons and Dragons where it's a simple D20 system or you roll your 2D6. You roll 3D6, but sometimes you compete head to head and sometimes you do this and sometimes you do that. It feels like the actual experience of play has not caught up to the satisfaction of character creation. Now, Stephanie, mm-hmm. one of the aspects of you that I find valuable and endearing is the ability to really just create superheroes and powers and NPCs just literally on demand. Thank you. So do you find this sort of going through the hero process as like a, a creativity thing? Like, is that convincing to you? Is it, I mean, is it worth, you know, I mean, when I think like we talked a little bit, you know, as we were setting things up, I had a couple characters I was trying to come up with. It's like, oh, can I make this NPC? Can I make this NPC? One of them was like, ah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Just some some of them, and and so there's a limitation in needing to make them through these powers and does the is the creativity bonus you get there so i'm going to say first that i have a lot of good associations with earlier editions of champions cuz this was the first non-dnd system that i played and this was the first system even including dnd that i was in a campaign of 
And I sort of can't believe that Teenage Me was in a long campaign of this because it's so fiddly. And I think in retrospect that our GM, who was not a teenager, did a lot of simplifying at the table. My sense of the character creation rules, since like I'm not a war gamer, I do want to know, you know, whose force beam is more powerful than whose force beam in case the two force beam users fight. And I, I do think it's good to have some numbers and some rules for that. But the intense statting up of everything in connection with 5 million tables and subcategories seems to me to be a spur to character creation that I personally don't need, but that is great and useful for the world and for my friends, plus an ability to specify exactly who would beat who in a fight under what atmospheric pressure and temperature that I'm not sure that I need because there are so many other ways to, there's, there are other ways to create characters if you're not quite as wargamery. And I, I, I want to say this stuff without being too harsh on this brilliantly detailed and executed system that is designed to answer questions that maybe I as a gamer don't, they're not my favorite questions about superheroes, and to provide help doing things I maybe don't want help with. And what I really, there, there are things I do want help with. I want help making plots. I want help understanding how to turn characters into a story. And Champions is designed for turning characters into fights. It is pretty good at that. However, even given what it is by modern standards, I think it is more complicated than it needs to be to tell you exactly what happens and who wins in a fight when Hawkeye meets Bullseye. Something that I've I've been very glowing about character creation, but I've been glossing over what I think is a major flaw in Hero Systems character creation. In every role-playing game, you have, you know, your social contract, your veils, your X card, things that you don't want to touch. But in Hero System, maybe more than any other game, you kind of need a mechanical contract. You know, in... Uh, lots of games are breakable. Third edition Dungeons and Dragons, anyone with an internet connection, anyone who thinks long enough about it can probably break the game pretty easily and cast Wish every six seconds or combine prestige classes in some horrifying abomination. But that requires concerted effort on the part of the player. That's fine. I think that's kind of a good thing that it rewards players who ex interact with games that way, but it's out of sight of your average player. Hero System, you can break the game by accident. Your first time ever playing, you can accidentally have too much physical defense or too much defensive combat value or dump way too much into a specific power and all of a sudden nothing the GM does can hurt you or nothing they put in front of you can stop you. And you didn't mean to do that. We had the opposite problem in that, that a perfectly reasonable villain who Fiona created versus some perfectly reasonable superpowers turned out to be almost impossible to damage. This is, uh, surprise, surprise, my first time playing Champions. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we talked before that you have 17 separate characteristics. And there's this real question of what should some of these numbers be? And so for me, I was looking again, I was looking at the, the Champions starter thing and looking through some of those pre-gens. And there was someone who had, I think, like a 25 physical defense. And I was like, whoa, that's that's a lot. So Johnny Three Guns, he's still kind of a tough dude. He's got some body armor that. So I'll give him, you know, 13, 15, whatever it ended up being. And then that meant that Anemone could pull him into a tank of water and just flail back and forth for 
you know, 20 minutes. So some of that clearly like system mastery, right? Next time we wouldn't do this. Even if if we were playing a next session, right? I'd probably re rejigger a lot of these numbers and let Steph change up some of Anemone's numbers so that yeah. she had packed a, a harder punch. So sort of solvable in that sense. But the game does not give you any independent recommendations on the ranges for these things. And actually in the in the GM section, it goes through like, here are types of villains that you could have. You could have thugs, you could have mooks, you could have lieutenants, you could have big bads. And it talks about them purely in narrative terms and doesn't say, hey, for a hench, give them 150 points or something like that. Like there's not even that level of help. And I think the last thing I'll say on this, because of the numeric stuff, I ended up not having some of the pacing outs that I would otherwise take, Yeah. right? If you were wailing into a monster or something in D&D and you were doing damage to it, but it was like, oh, I realize like this has twice as many hit points as we really feel like dealing with, then, you know, maybe a blow kills it or maybe it, it runs away at that point. And we say like, okay, combat over. Moving Let's on. Move on. In our case, well, A, you had him trapped in a water tank that he couldn't get out of but b you weren't actually dealing any damage yeah. to him so it wasn't like he was having a particularly bad time of it it was just an uncomfortable awkward stalemate and i it was i didn't know like it was really so I mean, we, we we sort of had to to step out and say like hey look it's fine if the gun falls in the water let's move on at which point anemone decided to make him lose consciousness by drowning which reflects what that very frustrated character would do with that dude <laughs> at this point. But once she knew she wasn't going to hurt the sharks and stuff. As I think about this, which is a fairly serious problem with the game, I'm realizing that it grows from a feature that the game has that that is good, which is in creating a, a game that can let you do anything that a Marvel superhero in 1978 could do. The game had to account for the wildly varying levels of individual superheroes, supervillains, and stories because in, let's say, a Marvel book from the Bronze Age, if Clint Barton is fighting Galactus, in fact, <laughs> nothing happens. Heroes who have 200 or 400 base points for their character creation probably won't be able to do something to cosmic villains. You need to get the Silver Surfer and Thor if you're going to fight Galactus. But we didn't understand what numbers in various subcategories, in particular subcategories associated with physical combat, corresponded to what hero level. And to use one more Marvel example, it was, it felt a bit like Kate Bishop and Clint Barton trying to fight Iron Man or the Juggernaut. And, you know, again, it's realistic to the Bronze Age. When that happens, you call Thor. So these are things that happen in team books, but they don't necessarily make for a satisfying gaming experience if you didn't know they were coming. I think part of the problem is that there are no, there are formal example characters in supplemental material, you know, in, in like champions books that contain like, here's all the villains that in our, our personal champion setting. But mm -hmm. when you, when you go online or when you or I, like Fiona, if you were to go right now and stat out Captain America, and if I were to sit down and stat out Captain America, we could, and we could conceivably end up with two very different physical defenses and combat values because we're working on different relative scales of competition that's right 
And it puts a huge weight on the GM to reach out to players and say, hey, a pretty good physical defense would be seven. Mm. Hey, don't put your defensive combat value above above four. Like to, to reach out to players and say, like, here's the scale we're operating at. 400 points can go a lot of ways in a lot of different directions. And you do need to guide someone. And for a first time GM, how are they supposed to know? There's no charts in the book that say Captain America has eight physical defense. Like they yeah. say, oh, I know what I'm working with now. It, it Well, actually, there there is a chart that tells you that that infants uh, have no physical defense and no charisma and no intelligence and no. This almost reads as if, for all of its its brilliance in enabling character generation, it's almost as if they expected first time players and first time GMs to be playing with purchased pre gen characters. Alternately, they expect first-time players to be playing with an experienced player who can walk them through, as my dad did to me, and say, I want to be able to do this. And he says, well, that's probably a this, this, and this, and, you know, writes out my character for me. I think that it's very frustrating for new players because in, in a game like Fate... You look at your character and say, my character's got a big sword. He's good at fighting. Fight has to be my best skill. I'm going to make fight plus four because that's as high as skills go. Similarly, in Dungeons and Dragons, my my constitution stat or my I'm a wizard. My int stat is 18. That's as high as my int stat can be. In Hero System, because you need to be able to make Superman, the numbers don't stop. There's no upper limit on physical defense or strength. Yeah. That means there's no guide rails for this player to make their character. And and yeah. and, and for for uh, stat like strength, which generates your roll a variable number of dice, I, I, that could generate comic results. If if you if you're making Superman or the Silver Surfer or somebody like that, you end up you might end up rolling fifteen d six. Who even yes. has fifteen d six? Fiona, do you have fifteen d six? Oh, absolutely, easily. <laughs> oh well, no, it, it's the issue is is just counting them i mean this is a thing like we are going to come back to this question again and again and Uh again as we do this podcast Mm -hmm. for superhero comics it's it's the hawkeye question how well or in what way does this game handle player characters of different powers of different power levels Mm -hmm. does it support it or 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 doesn't it and i think my argument you know my feeling in in this is when you mentioned Stephanie, they're like, okay, Hawkeye versus Galactus, nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you're not playing that game, right? Like it's what, what is the game reason to actually support right. where someone can have an attack of 4d6 and someone can have a physical defense of 25? You can just say like, hey, if we're playing a cosmic game, yeah, 15 means that you can take a comet to the head. Yeah. And if we're playing a street level game, 15 means that you're wearing a tough hat. You, you know what yeah. you're just, you know what you're describing? You're describing riffs. We need mega damage and standard damage. And you operate on different scales and every mega damage is the equivalent of 100 D6 of standard damage. You, you've <laughs> entered the Palladium books dimension. <laughs> so here, here's the, here's another thing that kind of along these lines. And, and that is a question. So again, we play. Stephanie and I, at least a tremendous amount of masks, and we're going to play it on the podcast later. We'll get to it. It's it is important, but I, I kind of there's an assumption here that maybe listener you're you're somewhat familiar with it. But but in a, but in a narrative game, narrative focus game like a Powered by the Apocalypse game, mm-hmm. there is a question of narrative permission. There are things that you just aren't allowed to roll for. Right. If you were playing a Hawkeye character, if you were playing a Beacon, and you were fighting a galactic level villain. 
I would have to just say as the GM, you cannot directly engage. It will be ineffective. Yeah. You could roll a 12. I don't care. It, it will be ineffective. And I think that that works. I think that at the table, when you have that level of difference between power levels, it comes across. Other, It doesn't feel like cheap or railroading or anything at that point for me to say, no, you can't hit Galactus. Yeah. I mean, you can, but, it just won't do anything. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. What this game is able to do is codify that and make it a lot finer. And so what we ended up with the situation was you had a pretty strong young woman. She could, you know, pick up a grizzly bear and this kind of tough dude. And we were just at this cusp. And if we were playing a narrative game, I don't think I could sell, no, I'm sorry, you can't hurt him. Right? Like, it's you're kind of too close. And yet, through the fluke of these stats and my inexperience, our inexperience, we ended up in a situation where we were preventing a thing numerically that we would have been, we wanted to see narratively. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The guidelines in the rule book about total point level for characters are so far away in terms of level of generality from the things you need to know if you're new to champions or haven't played champions in a long time about individual stat level that if you're going to play this game, you need clear guidance from the GM or clear guidance collaboratively at character creation about what's a normal OCV, what is a normal energy defense, and so on in this world. Because otherwise, you end up with the two Captain Americas problem, you end up with what we had, you end up with someone creating Hawkeye and somebody else creating Bullseye, who should be able to fight, but can't touch one each other. <laughs> of one well that i mean that would actually be a, a really fun uh <laughs> that's true outcome they just kept shooting past each other uh but you you might end up with hawkeye being accidentally way more powerful than bullseye or with one hawkeye you know kate being way more powerful than clint or vice versa which should happen emotionally but it should not happen uh in combat because they have the same kinds of arrows so the last question we have in the letters page, and, and I want to give this to you first, Ian, what moments in our game made you feel like you were playing a superhero? I think I think it's interesting that it was at the moments, it was the intersections between combat and roleplay. It was right sort of on the cusp of either. So first was being thrown across the buildings, you know, shrinking, landing on the roof, going in the vents. That felt great. That was, I was using my powers. We were collaborating. That was very visually clear what's going on. Similarly, shrinking, then growing and grabbing the doctor, running away, getting hit by an energy blast and going down, uh... May have hurt, but it felt good. It felt like, oh, this is something that could have happened. This is a tense, dramatic scene where our powers are interacting in a certain way. And I, I felt like in both those situations, they were about combat, but they weren't in the segments. They weren't, all right, now it's my turn. And for my half phase, I'm going to walk this way. And for my other half phase, I'm going to punch really hard. It was these moments of engagement. It was when you're sort of moving from narrative to combat, where you're still using your powers and what's written and all of the points you spent and the rules you built for them. But you're not getting lost in the weeds of like, all right, I want to take down. That gives me a minus one to my OCV. But also he's got this, which does that. That that felt like we had to stop being superheroes and become become actuaries. <laughs> Yeah. How about you, Stephanie? When did playing Anemone feel like she was a superhero? I liked having her go in and go up through the aquarium. And I really liked it when she was able to pop out of the tank and grab Johnny and disarm him. And that 
that was combat. Like that was a whole bunch of moves called grab and throw and disarm. But that was really fun. And I had the sense not only that Anemone was being the superhero she wanted to be, but that she was saving bystanders from a pretty serious villain. And the first moment where she had to figure out whether she was going to have to pull him underwater to remove the threat or whether that was danger, that was too dangerous because the gun, like having that happen once and having this split second gamble where if you choose wrong, you're going to get people killed. That was really good. That felt really good. It kept happening, which wasn't as good, but like, (laughs) and I think that. That speaks well of Fiona, who is wonderful, but also speaks to the strength of the system, which is that if you build a character with very specific aptitudes who wants to do specific things and the GM is listening, the GM can build an adventure with those really specific aspects and you get to roll to see if your character succeeds on very specific things that you wanted to do, which is to say you wanted to have a role for because the most satisfying accomplishments most of the time in most games like this are going to be the ones that involve a role. The other thing that really satisfied me as a player, although Anemone just kind of lived with it, was the giant cavernous abandoned sub dry dock seemed really built for the human slingshot to be able to use every facet of his powers. Yeah, I fancy that. <laughs> it was great. And just Anemone, Anemone just sort of stood at one end of the, the space and zapped a robot once. And that was fine. She, you know, saved the person. Everybody was safe. She was fine with that. I loved being able to see what what the human slingshot could do there. All right. Our next segment, it's ongoing retcons and spinoffs. So we're going to go around and the first prompt is, if this were picked up for an ongoing, what else do you want to see for your character or what parts of this system did we not get to in the actual play that you're excited about exploring? And Ian, let me start with you. Well, I think part of it is sort of the developing relationship dynamic between the player characters, getting a sense of emergent bits. Are we going to take a lift? Things Arguing about little things like that and also seeing different ways of problem solving. How are we hunting down this base? I, I like that and I like the idea that villains are very easily recurring. Yeah. Liar is really interesting. Johnny, We never saw that third gun from Johnny Three Guns. <laughs> like... Hero System is great at, 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 like I said, these binders of characters that maybe in a year, Liar turns up looking for revenge, right? These are the sort of things that I think make the game really compelling is because it lets players live out that specific Bronze Age superhero fantasy. And it's great at that. But you, Steph, what would, what else would you want to explore in the Hero System and Champions? So Anemone has a, a best friend, D, who never showed up, and that's okay. I would have, with this character, I would have liked to see her relationship with Dee and more of her relationship with the the non-powered world. But I I think if we were going to play more champions and there were going to be more adventures, I would want to build six different characters and have, honestly, invite friends to play the characters who we weren't playing on any given night. That's another thing about this system. In something like Masks, where so much of it is subjective, so much of it is what do you think the character would do and what overarching story are you trying to tell, I don't want someone else playing my Mask characters because they're part of me. But Champion's characters, 
are built with so many numbers and so many things you can roll for that you can build a champion's character, play the champion's character once, give the character to your friend, and then build a new character for yourself and keep playing in the same campaign. And again, that's what makes this feel like an Avengers book and not an X book. Hero System is somewhat oxymoronically good for new players in the sense that if someone else has sort of listened to their wishes and made their new character, it gives them a list of things they can do on every turn. It's very clear. And that list of things is very interesting. I've been running this Powered by the Apocalypse game for two years with players who were, who were beforehand only really D&D players, you know? Mm-hmm. And they were just eternally perplexed by moves. What does a move mean? What does it mean, take a move? The list of moves is short and vague because they want players to narratively come up with things they should be doing. But when you're new to that kind of game, you just think like, well, just tell me what I can do. You get mad at the system for being so vague and open-ended. I think Hero System is great because it sits a player down and you say, give me your wish list of things you want to do. Great. Now here's the 20 things your character can do in a scene. It sort of takes a lot of the burden of role playing, which is that vulnerability of becoming someone else and offloads it elsewhere. And maybe that's not satisfying to a certain group of player, but I think it's really useful for getting people engaged in the game. Well, D&D also does that. This is a virtue that Hero System shares with D&D. Mm-hmm. It has features D&D will never have and that it is designed for superheroes, which is to say it's designed to let you build almost any kind of character who can do anything. And it has, I would say it's worse than D&D in terms of the math that new players have to have someone perform. Mm -hmm. When you said it's great for new players, my first reaction was, yeah, it is. And my second reaction was if they're lightning calculators. (laughs) It's only three points. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I'm sorry. I need to take a I'll let you, I'll let you I feel like we were just setting up two hours for that. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I need to recover. I, I gave Professor Markov lightning calculator. Did you really? Just in case? Yeah, he's a robot. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you should have it. <laughs> now, I would say for my part, what I would want more of is I want to use some of these other powers. Like I'm flipping through like, you know, duplication, you know, summoning. There are some of these things. And part of me is super daunted by all of the mechanical additions that that would add. But again, there is that satisfying. I was thinking about it as almost like a, like a Minecraft, like, I can't believe I was able to put the work together to build this contraption in this, you know, in the, with these square blocks kind of thing. And, and so, yeah, I, I want to, I want to do the other ones. I want to make other NPCs, just characters that I have from other games, just, just to sort of see it happen. And there's something, there's something about putting the mechanics behind it that gives them life in a a really kind of fun and and neat way. They're already alive, but yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, I agree with you. So now retcon, this is a, how would you approach our actual play differently? Or were you to play champions again? How would you do it differently than than what we did, sort of knowing what we know now about the system and having talked about it and experienced it? And uh, Steph, why don't you go first? I would have built Anemone to have like 12d6 offensive power so that she could, in fact, fight more villains in ways that move faster. I would build characters to be stronger fighters numerically so that fights would be over faster and we could do more role play. How about you, Ian? Yeah, I I think I'm in a similar place where Human Slingshot works great outdoors and in submarine dry docks. But in a small, fragile environment like the aquarium, I often found that the way I had built him was take an action, wait a phase, 
take another action. If, if I could, I would have maybe added a little more variability, maybe the ability to affect the size of objects, things like throw a ball bearing and make the ball bearing grow in size. I also think that might have done a good job of showing off some of the more variety of the hero system. Definitely, I said, oh, I don't want to build a character who just grows big and punches and gets small and punches. But ultimately, that's what the human slingshot did in every situation. Uh, and that sort of neglects all these wonderful, ridiculous powers, uh, entanglement, all, all of these different ways you can sort of apply different effects to these powers is what make the hero system shine. And I think in the end, I was still mainly rolling big D6 for hand-to-hand attacks. Mm. And I, one of the things I'm noticing is that our challenges playing the characters we'd created very much mimic Silver Age writers' challenges with characters who have these powers. Aquatic-themed characters tend to be underpowered in most adventures, even though they have cool backstories. And growing and shrinking characters tend to acquire other powers as their stories go on in order to be able to do more Ant-Man talks to ants. Hank Pym eventually became a yellow jacket and be a huge jerk because writers didn't want him to just grow and shrink. Colossal Boy can get away with being Colossal Boy because he's on a team with 40 other people and (laughs) his mom's the president of Earth. So most Colossal Boy stories don't even involve him using his powers, if I remember this correctly. So we, by using a, a Bronze Age simulation game and being new or rusty at it, ended up learning about the Silver Age, which I thought was cool. Wow, that's great. I think an obvious thing for me is make sure that you and your players are numerically in the right ballpark. But I think there's another thing, and that's... So I I mentioned this during the actual play, that on this podcast, I am trying to be rules as written. I am trying to represent these games for everyone to hear them in a way that is, as far as I understand it, the closest to what this game is, as opposed to, oh, we're going to do some of the mechanics of champions, but I'm a GM at like I'm playing masks or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that what sort of struck me as I've started up D&D campaign for my kids is how much of doing actual GMing for people in order to specifically have fun involves throwing out sometimes large pieces of the system, right? D&D, for example, we're not doing encumbrance. (laughs) We're not dealing with half cover, Mm -hmm. right? There's Mm -hmm. all of these rules that I can just say, we don't need to... We don't need to deal with that. I don't care about that. Like, let's let's focus on these parts of the game. And I would want to find what that equivalent is mm-hmm. in Hero System. And that might be hard. Because actually, honestly, there are rules that technically we threw, threw out. I mean, Human Slingshot, you had quite a bit of velocity going. And there are rules governing stopping and turning and sort of all of those other things. Like, you know, we could calculate your speed at any point during your phase using a formula. So like, it's already getting rid of some of the rules, but some of the ones around, yeah, around like grabbing and disarming and these kind of cool things we were doing, but just mechanically, it was a lot to go through every time it happened. And and so I'm, I, I want to find that. I, I, I'm interested in what the more simplified kind of rule set for hero system is, but some of these things, it's not easy. We're not going to say like, okay, just don't grab because you want to be grabbing in these things. I just want the grab to not be this contest that works different from other contests and we count up the body and it takes too long. Yeah. And I wonder, I would want to talk to people who are currently in, you know, two year long champions campaigns and say, how simplified are your rules? What does that look like? How long does a 12 segment, a, 
a, what is it, 12-segment turn taken real time. Yeah, so please hit us up at Team Up Moves on Twitter. DMs are also open. You know, market safe to print if you like. But yeah, we do want to hear about people who have fuller experience with these games. Hero System was a big game for play-by-mail and play-by-email. And I imagine a reason for that is because it's all this turn-based combat. You sort of say, you know, here's what I do. And then you've got your time to figure out how that works because you're playing by email. The rules aren't as much of an obstacle when there's no expectation of getting in and out in two and a half hours. Oh, wow. I did not know that. My dad played play by email champions for probably 10 years with the same group, I think. They've met up occasionally in person. One of them published a book based on another champions game. One of them works on Fate now. So I don't know. I think it's I think in many ways it's a sort of a, a gamer's game. Lastly, we have spinoffs. What parts of Champions in the Hero System would you want to see in other games, either mechanically or something that you would want to take with you playing other systems? Ian, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think that Hero System is good at asking players to be creative and then rewarding them for that creativity. In some ways, I wish I could make people build characters in the hero designer, figure out all the different ways they can use their power, all these characters they can interact with, what their skills are, what their stats are, and then make them play those characters in a simpler game. I think the creativity it sparks is really big, and I think that sort of the way that it spins itself off into you thinking, maybe I should make these other four characters, and then handing them over to the GM and saying, here's these other characters I've made that should show up as NPCs or as guest characters or for other people who might join us. That's really fun, and I wish that other games treated character creation as something more than something to get get through as quickly as possible. I think there's been a trend in RPGs, maybe in the last 10 years, to sort of say, let's really get narrative, and that means that character creation is three or four facts about your character, and then we get started, and you sort of character create as you go. The advantage of front-loading is it's easier to onboard players sort of to, to, to let them know what they should be doing. And it also sort of makes them think a little more deeply about mechanical interactions. I, I think I prefer that style more than I prefer the this sort of like, all right, pick your three stats, pick two skills, let's play the game. Mm-hmm. I would love to see, especially since having been initiated by Fiona, I now spend a non-zero amount of time teaching people new to the hobby how to play masks. I would love to see 30 pages in the handbooks to other kinds of superhero games saying you want your character to be able to do this here's how you do it mechanically you want your character to be able to teleport you want your character to be able to learn any language you want your character to be able to be virtually immovable when her feet are planted here is how you do that mechanically and for a system that is simpler to begin with the math for doing that is going to be simpler And I think we're all kind of agreeing that the best thing about Champions in 2022 is that it gives you mechanical ways to do almost anything a superhero can do. And the toughest thing might be that the particular mechanical ways that it gives you, you have to be an actuary half the time, (laughs) unless you're used to it. And if you're used to it, good for you. It's, It's got a lot of upside. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point. Like it's 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 pretty cool that there is a mechanism for knockback, you know, because like, oh, that's the thing that happens when someone gets punched. But it's it's at least two dice rolls as far as how far you got knocked back then when you hit something, the damage and all of that. And so it's I think it's great, Steph, that you drew the distinction between having the mechanic and then what that mechanic actually is at the table. My spinoff thing is the complications. 
I I love that idea. And I think that's something that you could easily borrow and put in other in other places. Some games have it, right? Fate, you've got your trouble aspect. You know, this is not unique to to champions, but masks, you know, maybe it's it's sort of a difference in the the era of comics that these games are trying to, to talk about. But like masks has nothing about your your weakness. You know, there's no like what is your kryptonite entry on the Nova playbook. And I think it's worth kind of asking some of these questions. Like what what are the ways that things could go badly for your character that like lay those out so that the GM and the player can kind of agree on them? Because like springing complications on a player can be maybe a little mean spirited uh, or taken that way. But kind of acknowledging up front, oh, this is the stuff that can get me into trouble. Yeah. You can use these things. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'd like to see that in 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 other superhero games. Yeah, I'm I'm nodding. It, it's not an audio effect, but I'm nodding really vigorously. Like, yes, I agree with the things Fiona's saying. All right, we have one more thing to do, and that's dive into the back issues. This is recommended reading for people who like champions and want to see some of these stories in four colors on the page. Steph, I'm going to let you and Ian take it away. Y'all are the professionals in this regard. Tell us what to read. Ian, do you want to go first? Sure. For me, a lot of my recommendations are based on the time in life I was where I was playing a lot of champions. So I'm 12, 13. I've harangued my neighborhood friends into getting into this game where I build characters for them. Other things I was doing at the time, I was re- I was playing a lot of Freedom Force by Irrational Games. So that's Freedom Force and Freedom Force versus the Third Reich. The first is sort of a computer tactical RPG send up of Silver Age comics. The second, you go back in time to the World War II, you do the Golden Age, and then you go forward and do a Dark Phoenix story for Bronze Age stuff. That game also came with a really in-depth character creator where you could import custom models, you could create custom superpowers, you could adjust those stats, and then you would, you know, download highly illegal Suicide Squad campaigns or Justice League campaigns that were later taken down by lawsuits but can still be found on the depths of the internet because Marvel and DC gave up on that war a long time ago about fan-made mods of their characters. Those games are a lot of fun because like Champions, they sort of are emblematic of certain eras of comic book superheroes and they're also really fun to sit down and crunch and make characters with. And also at the same time, I was spending afternoons over at my grandparents. My grandfather had his collection of DC comics from 1960 to 1970. So that's some really classic like Barry Allen stories, which is why I've sort of missed this whole Wally West thing. I never understood it because growing up, I was only reading Barry Allen. Lots of Justice League, some Justice Society. He has the issue where The cover is the Justice Society and the Justice League sort of looking at each other from parallel dimensions. Those are great for champions because characters are popping in and out all the time. You sit down in a Justice Society issue and maybe Wildcat's not there and Our Man's there. That stuff is really fun because it sort of creates this image of who made it to the table that night. And like you said, they're trying really hard to make Dr. Midnight do anything other than throw smoke screens around. That's his power is that he can see through the dark and they're like really working hard to make that interesting. <laughs> the, that's sort of the creative ethos I like. And all those characters are like 150 point champions characters. The, the, the JSA characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would second those recommendations. The, if you want to read comics that feel like the story's champions is initially built to tell, you want to read Bronze Age comics with... That is 70s and 80s comics with powerful heroes who work in large teams with shifting memberships and are meant to be colorful and sort of PG-13 and not grimdark, but not funny. 
And you want to read comics where the art does the work along with the writers of making the physical actions the heroes are taking persuasive and fun to follow. I would say if you want to read comics that feel like a, like the stories that Champions was initially built to tell, look for issues of Avengers with George Perez art. Maybe that's what I'm going to say. Look for issues of Avengers with George Perez art. <laughs> Done. Great. I think with that, we can end this run of Team Up Moves and our play of champions. Ian Gregory, thank you so much for joining us, both for the actual play and for this discussion. Thank you so much for having me. This was this was the time of my life. Aww. Now, where can people find you on the internet uh, for all of the things that you do? Sure. On Twitter, I'm at FissionMail. That's F-I-S-S-I-O-N-M-A-L-E. And then I write regularly for ComicsXF, where Steph and I review Marauders. It's mainly Twitter. I'll t- I, t- I tweet out everything I do. As you should, because people should know about it. They deserve to know. Well, check the show notes for links uh, to to Ian's uh, Twitter and, and uh, their page on, on ComicsXF. And Stephanie, I don't know, how do we close this? <laughs> how do we close this? Uh- Thank you so much for listening. This run, we've been playing Champions 6th Edition from Hero Games. If you want to learn more about the game or about the hero system, visit their website at herogames.com. We're going to take a week off between runs, and then we'll be back. We're going to be playing Exceptionals, a game by Gar Atkins, with our friends Arman Babu and Becca Petunia. Exceptionals is a game about people with superpowers, but not necessarily about superheroes. It's more about folks marginalized by their powers, coming together and living in community. If you like those aspects of the X-Men, this is literally the game for you. Team Up Moves is a production of Fiona Hopkins and Stephanie Burt, copyright 2022. We love to hear your feedback. You can find us on Twitter at at TeamUpMoves or at Fiona Wim and at Accommodatingly, respectively. Check the show notes for spelling. Our website, where you can get all of our past episodes and learn more about our guests, is teamupmoves.com. Our theme music is Play by Sleepyhead. They've got a new album, New Alchemy, and you can get it at sleepyheadrockband.com. Because we're a new show, getting the word out about what we're doing is really essential. Anything you can do from retweeting us on Twitter to leaving a review on iTunes or just telling a friend absolutely helps. Until next time, take care, pals.